Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. with an Ethereum podcast. I'm here today with Kevin Owaki and Mark Balin from Gitcoin and Bounties Network. We are going to be talking about open source software and bounties on Ethereum. I should say before I start that, of course, as a member of Consensus, these are both Consensus projects, so this is my disclaimer about alignment of interests. So with that out of the way, Mark and Kevin, I guess, like, start with giving me the one-sentence description of, of each of your pro- projects. And I guess let's start with, let's start with Mark. The Bounties Network uh, is basically a protocol and a platform to put bounties on any task paying in any token on Ethereum, which allows for really interesting trust minimalizations and at the same time, really interesting incentives aligned between the people who are issuing the bounties and those who are actually fulfilling them. Gitcoin is a bounties network for open source software. All of the great things that Mark and the bounties network are building, but uh, focused on the open source software incentivization vertical. Why Why did each of you choose to work on this? Like what, what in your background led you to think that this is the project, the burning need that is right for you to, to fill in the world? For me, I read a really interesting uh, economics paper at the end of 2016 called The Nature of the Firm uh, by Ronald Coase from 1937. And basically it posited that, you know, the sizes of organizations are dictated by the cost of insourcing labor. So obviously hiring people to do tasks versus outsourcing labor. And so he posited that as the cost of outsourcing labor decreases, so does the size of the firm because organizations can outsource more of their tasks instead of hiring people. And so when I first started working on the incentivization problem, it was around attestations on smart contracts. Uh, But I quickly realized that it was far more interesting to tackle the problem of making the labor market or task fulfillment markets more efficient. And so because I've studied computer science and business uh, in my past, uh, you know, bounties are sort of the intersection of of both of those things. So um, that's really been the charge for the Bounties Network is how can we bring those costs of outsourcing tasks or labor um, to be as, as low as possible so that hopefully we can decentralize organizations. So what brought you to to the Coase paper? Do you just randomly read like old econ papers from Nobel Prize winning economists? <laughs> <laughs> it was actually, it was uh, somebody internally at Consensus had sent it to me on a whim. And, and apparently this is uh, you know one of those driving force papers, if you will, um, that has helped shape the Consensus organization and is largely why why we exist in the the strange organizational structure that we inhabit. So it was largely sent from from people internally here at Consensus. I learned something today. I have read that, but it's been mm-hmm. a while. How about you, how about you? <laughs> I agree with everything Mark said, but again, I'm focused mostly on open source software incentivization. And I've been working on tech startups for the last 10 or 15 years. Everything I've ever built is based upon open source software. Open source software is like manna from the heavens in that like an entire generation of engineers have built their careers on top of open source software. What higher purpose for my time can I find than pushing open source forward? 
one of the things that's holding back the ecosystem in general is a lack of ability to sustain and promote open source software. There's a problem that uh, my contemporaries have observed in which you build something great and you put it out there, it gets a bunch of stars on GitHub, maybe you make Hacker News, and then people start using it. And when people start using it, there is an expectation that you're maintaining your, your open source repo. And I think that as you move on with your life and and move on with your career, the maintenance can become a burden for some people. And so by providing incentivization mechanics and sustainability tools for open source repo maintainers to align not only like a monetary interest and uh, sorry, to align a, a monetary interest uh, along with uh, the software that they've put out there that's providing value to the world, I think is a really powerful thing. Uh, and what's cool about blockchain is blockchain is is un- enables us to unbundle the business models of the Apache Foundation and the Linux Foundation down to much smaller repos, to smaller, me- medium-sized repos. So we're really at an inflection point in the ecosystem right now in which the, the hope is that People can quit their corporate jobs and they can go just work on open source software full time by earning an Ethereum or an ERC-20 bounty on their repo. And that's that's the version of the future that I would like to build. One of the things that keeps me up at night, metaphorically speaking, about Ethereum projects, especially as somebody who does you know own some tokens, is... Uh, the long-term governance problem, right, where a project does a sale and then it takes them a year or two, but they get their network running and, and everything is working fine. And the founders, there's nothing really that incentivizes them to stick around, right? They, I mean, they might have kept 20% of the tokens in their sale, but, you know, mm-hmm. they could sell those. In fact, in some cases, they could sell them like the day after the sale. But um, assuming they're locked up in a better case governance standard, they're still only locked up for a couple of years. Do you, do you see this as a mm-hmm. as a solution for um, like the, the the long term governance problems that we have? And in- yeah, I mean, I think that alignment of interests is a problem in in governance crypto projects, and you know, we could posit that some of the governance problems in countries across the world are because of alignment of interests. Uh, without going into any specifics. And one of the things that's really powerful about open source software bounties is that if you issue a bounty in the native token that that your that your project generates, so if you're the Augur product project and you uh, issue tokens in Augur tokens in return for coding for your repo, what you're basically doing is taking advantage of the strong tribalism in cryptocurrency wherein someone who's developing for your software is getting paid in basically shares of your projects. And I think that's a powerful incentive alignment problem that's being solved right there. But I don't think it solves the problem that you sort of led with about founders not having a vesting schedule or anything like that. I think that's a different tool for a different job. But alignment of interests is the name of the game in general. Yeah, well, I guess it would be a possibility that the community... Right. I mean, once the founders are gone, the question is whether the community community and the people that are that are using the network uh, and the token mm-hmm. can like incentivize. And I, I it seems to me like something like this is like a necessary step for that to happen. If that happens, <laughs> in my mind, thinking about you know the lack of trust that we have in these in these crypto project founders, um, I think we'll start to see in the next couple of years 
people's reputations being burned as they, you know, don't deliver, as they leave projects. And this is something that happens to charlatans across the world whenever they, you know, take people's money and don't follow through with what they've promised. I don't think it'll be a new paradigm. I think it'll just be a lot of the same um, in new instantiations. And so I'm curious to see if we'll be able to build enough strong reputational systems to actually either punish people who, who've done that or at least burn them enough that they that they would avoid doing it altogether and will hopefully teach future project founders not to do the same. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point. I mean, a lot of it is social, which is offline and not something technology can really, I mean, it's it's community standards and of course, mm-hmm. our community has the quote-unquote problem. I mean, it's overall, it's a good thing, but we tend to value kindness. So people don't really tend to call out bad actors. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know where you guys hang out, but if you hang out on any cryptocurrency Twitter list, there's a lot of arguing back and forth. So, I mean, I think it just depends on if you're hanging out with makers or people who are talking about the price and, and what the venue is because it changes how people interact with each other, you know? That is a good point. Every once every project does their sale, their Slack or Telegram or whatever goes way downhill, and it just becomes a like when Polo <laughs> Slack. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's funny because I get people people hear the name Gitcoin, they, they join the Slack and they're like, "Oh, where can I buy it?" And it's just so funny to have those people pop into the Slack because they're asking where they can buy it, and they clearly don't even know that there's not. There's not a token and the, the project is pre-product market fit. So I always kind of chuckle when I see that and I politely ask them to come back in six months once once we've gone through finding product market fit. But uh, yeah, I, I agree with your general sentiment that the, the culture changes once money gets involved and people are invested. Let me shift gears a little bit. I tend to think of all, all like projects, uh, startup ideas as uh, a long-term vision and then the hook that kind of gets you the initial people that allows you to build towards that i guess mm-hmm. i'll start with you kevin it sounds like your long-term vision is really like the incentivization of, of open source software like fundamentally changing that mm-hmm. um, what what is the what is like the short-term hook that like really gets people onto the platform just the inherent financial nature of it all? Yeah, I mean, I think that the hook is different for different actors. If you're a developer, you might want to quit your corporate job and move into working on the latest and greatest open source technology. And Gitcoin provides you the opportunity to earn some tokens and build some skills and build some relationships without having to jump from A to B in a mutually exclusive fashion. If you're a repository owner, Gitcoin is a way to crowdsource work that you don't want to do and you don't want to figure out who you want to hire to do it. So just put it up on the platform and then people turn it around. And then there's a third actor uh, who we're calling sustainers. They're basically just uh, people who have some extra money and want to see a mission of an open source repo realized. What they get out of funding open sources, they get to see a mission realized uh, and they also get social credibility and reputation with the people who are making it happen. So I think that there's a triple-sided market, and it just happens to be a triple win for, for all three sides of it. And I guess, Mark, it sounds like your long-term vision is sort of re-enabling the, or remaking the, the nature of work. I guess you get Yeah, so there's, a, there, there's, there's several hooks so, that come into play when you hire freelancers, especially in the context of Ethereum freelancing, where... You know, like Kevin alluded to, you can pay people in your native token, uh, which changes a lot of the, the, the ways that startups can form because, you know, if teams are, are organizing around a token that doesn't necessarily, you know, have a, its model, you know, ironed out or hasn't been issued or sold or anything like that, um, you can still, you know, pay contributors for, for their work. 
And so I think that there's a lot of uh, projects in the Ethereum space who have their own token and some of them who've done, you know, token launches um, that have, uh, you know, who are sitting on large balances of their own tokens. And so um, paying people in bounties for actually building the, the product that they've promised is probably the best way that they can, you know, see their vision come to fruition. But more broadly, a lot of the, the teams in the Ethereum space, I know I've talked to many of them, um, have massive problems of recruiting. The, the Ethereum ecosystem is facing a drought of, of devs, basically because anyone who's smart devs are, are just building their own projects and starting their own ICOs. And so actually hiring smart people to build you know, the, the products you've promised um, is a real challenge. And so putting bounties up on certain components and allowing that to help form relationships with the individuals, which later can then, you can hire them in a more full-time context. Um, that provides, I think, a lot of meaning for, for these new projects that, that aren't really sure how they can go about hiring the best talent in the space. Can I just say, Mark, I, I, I love what you said about using bounties for recruitment, because I think it's a great way to test the waters with someone before you hire them. But I also think that something's happened. There's been a massive sea change in the industry where all these ICOs are happening and a lot of the smartest people are forming their own token sales. And because of that, there's a dearth of people who are working on core infrastructure. And, you know, if you believe, you know, if you believe in reversing the tragedy of the commons, if you believe that a rising tide lifts all boats, then it would be incumbent upon you to, to put a bounty on core infrastructure that the ecosystem needs to see. And we're starting to see that with the Augur founder just posted a huge bounty for a Solidity line-by-line -line debugger on the Bounties Network, which I just think is going to be great for the entire ecosystem. And there's going to be a ton of use cases like that where benevolent actors are going to put bounties on infrastructure projects. And I think that's going to be how we build the mainstream infrastructure for, for Web3. Social is important there too. I guess uh, call out like Jeff Coleman and Liam Horn for uh, building Counterfactual, which I, I imagine is not the money grab that they could that they could go for, but mm -hmm. um, important infrastructure being built by them as well. Yep. So y'all wanted to do this interview together. How does collaboration work for the two of you? since you are addressing similar spaces. So Kevin and I, we've been largely working um, in parallel and trying to minimize our overlap. Um, obviously, there's the, the low-hanging fruit of, of actually doing the integration between us um, so that you know any, any bounty that gets posted on the bounties network also propagates to Bitcoin and vice versa. Um, but more broadly, it's, we're, we're really tackling the problem of incentivizing task completion from completely different perspectives. Kevin's really, really optimizing for fixing open source and going really deep into that problem, whereas I'm approaching it far more from a breadth standpoint to try and see how we can generalize this across across all tasks. So Kevin is great because he gives me a lot of keen insight from his you know, really customer-focused and really community-focused perspective, and, and hopefully I give him some meaningful advice as well. Or, or maybe not, Kevin. Maybe my advice is all, uh, all noise. <laughs> I mean, I think that what's great about working with Mark is that, like, God, in your, Evan, in your intro to him, you said uh, he's trying to change the nature of work, which is like, holy smokes, that's such an audacious goal. And, and I'm really just hyper-focused on, on open source and the community, as Mark said. And what's, what's great uh, about working together in a way where Mark is breadth first and I'm sort of depth first in this first vertical is that our our experiences really complement each other. So if he has something he wants to test out, then I have access to a community that will allow him to test it. And uh, similarly, uh, Mark provides a lot of insights into the game theory and token mechanics and arbitration schemes that I just don't have the time 
to do because I'm jumping from customer relationship to community building. And, and those are very, uh, those are very manager schedule type tasks. So uh, it's going well so far and we'll see how it grows as both of our teams grow and consensus grows. One thing I guess that seemed like an opportunity for collaboration is uh, I saw that Mark is working on a, sta- a standard bounty contract. So you, you put the bounty in, in one in one piece of code and, and then you can post it many mm-hmm. places. Is that on the, the roadmap for, for you then? Yeah, it is. We're actually in the middle of writing that integration right now. And I just think that there's a ton of advantages to being on one standard bounty contract for interoperability purposes, for security purposes. And also, Bitcoin users are going to benefit from all of the new features that the Bounties network ships. So I'm pretty excited to get that launched. Hopefully, don't quote me on this by the end of the year. Cool. So, so Kevin, you, you laid out a couple of theses that you were trying to test. Uh, so one was tips build mm-hmm. relationships, and number two was bounties accelerate open source. So I guess tell me, mm-hmm. how do you feel like you have learned anything? Like is, is the data tilting one way on either of those? I, I think that what we found is mixed successes in both hypotheses. And, you know, we, we as, as your listeners may know, Gitcoin just launched pilot projects with consensus diligence with MetaMask and with Truffle. And we also did a couple bounties with EtherDelta. So I'm really honored to have some of the most important infrastructure projects in Web3 using Gitcoin for bounties. And what's what's great about uh, what, they've, what they've put on the platform is that A, their infrastructure bounties, uh, as I alluded to before, I think that's really important for the ecosystem. And uh, we've seen some mixed successes in those bounties turned around. I've had Pilot projects have been live at this time for about two and a half weeks, and we've seen one third of them turned around, one third of them claimed and on their way to being turned around, and then another third of them being uh, haven't been picked up yet. So I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself and provide a rundown of how it's going before the pilot, before the time the cohort of pilot projects has had the time to mature. But some of the early learnings, just to give you a preview is that um, items that are easy to specify, but maybe take a little bit of time to turn around are a great candidate for bounties. So you want the ROI to be there for the repo owner. And then we've also found that bounties that require a low amount of trust, at least at this point in the in the project, before we've built in reputation management systems and before I've integrated with standard bounties so that I can support milestones, have 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 been the best way to go with respect to bounties because as long as you can manage you can you can minimize the amount of trust that you need between a repo owner and the bounty submitter then they've been turned around a little bit easier so uh when you say trust you mean it's it's obvious whether uh, i mean because you know you have those are all like legit projects that i assume everybody would trust so i assume you mean trust in the sense of whether it's obvious that the code like works or not yeah, I mean, I just think that there's, it's hard to talk about this in the abstract, so let me ground it with an example. Sure. If you wanted me to go onto weekendethereum.com and change around some of your package management software, you'd have to issue access to your server to me. And there's a certain amount of trust that's that's associated with that. And I think that for a freelancer relationship, it's just not where we're starting. Not that it's not on the roadmap, but you would have to trust me to to, to go on your server in order to to make that happen. Gotcha. Okay, so it's, it's, yeah. it's trust... For the for the freelancer, gotcha. I was thinking about yeah. It so wrong. 
not to belabor the point, but like the everything you just asked me about is, I think, boils down to one question, which is, can we build a double sided double sided market for repo owners and talent to work together based on the blockchain? And I think the answer is a modestly successful yes so far. And what I'm going to be looking at in the spring of 2018, because I think that it's the big white whale that we need to be we need to be tackling in the ecosystem is how do we sustain open source software? So how do you take the double-sided market that you built associated with Gitcoin and provide sustainable funding for open source projects to not only uh, source funding, but spend it on their community and crowdsourcing tasks to their community? So that's that's sort of the, the, the vision of the project for the next six months. And I think that it aligns pretty well with what's good for the ecosystem. So I'm excited to be working with Mark on it. I wanted to jump in and ask if you if there was anything you noticed that was similar about the third of the projects that haven't been claimed or completed. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a scale thing there. Like my my network is a lot of Python folks and Python and JavaScript, and I've I've found that because the early community of Gitcoin collaborators is heavily reliant on my network, there's an overrepresentation of folks with those skill sets. And I think that outside of those skill sets, we're still building the community. So I would expect that that will change over time. Do you? Do either of you have any any view or early data on the idea of tokens versus ETH as a incentive? Like I noticed that, uh, for example, like status open bounty is is almost entirely for like their S and T, their native token. Early on in the in the writing of the standard bounties, we realized that there was uh, a lot of sort of market desire or user desire to have bounties that pay not only in Ether, uh, but also in native tokens. So like we've previously uh, covered, you know, it, it aligns the incentives. Uh, but more broadly talking about, you know, building apps or building businesses on top of um, Ethereum, I think the the fee model has proven itself to be very fruitful. Um, when you talk to a lot of people in the community and you ask their opinion, would you rather pay for this with a token or with a fee? you'll hear that you know, 80 to 90% of the respondents will consistently say they would rather pay fees um, in, in Ether. So I think that you know, it's, it's sort of sobering when we realize that you know, the token market isn't quite as hot as it used to be, that you know, maybe that isn't the best way to, to monetize your business. And, and so um, you know, there are many ways you can, you can take fees. Um, and I think that there's innovative ways that you can, you can sort of hide your fees behind certain functionalities um, so you offer sort of a freemium model um, on top of Ethereum. Uh, but a great example of fee-generating apps is CryptoKitties, which is, you know, obviously very popular right now. Uh, but they're, you know, they're raking in revenue and they're taking fees in Ether by, you know, minting kitties. And, you know, every time you birth one, you, you pay a fee. So I think, you know, very early on, there was a lot of pushback against um, taking fees as part of the applications we're building. And people were afraid that you would just be sort of hard forked away and someone would just launch a competing version of whatever you'd built, but with right. the fees wiped out. Uh, but I think we're going to learn very quickly that, in fact, that's very unlikely to happen and that, you know, um, if, you're, if your application is meaningful and creates enough value for your users that they would be willing to pay fees um, and that they should do that in Ether instead of, um, you know, worrying about having to buy a token just to use your application. I think that the only thing I'll add to Mark's answer is that there's a reason that the Bounties Network and the Gitcoin network don't have a token at, at this point in their lifestyle life cycle. And it's because we wanted the freedom to explore a token model that makes sense for the long term. 
and not to be beholden to specific token model and uh, creating value for investors before we found product market fit. And I think that that's going to be be really key that we're going to figure all this stuff out through our experiments before we design the token model. Because if and when uh, we do design a revenue model, it's going to be based upon reality and based in data. I have the annoying question here, which is, of course, what if bounties get put up for illegal stuff? Sure. So this is a question that comes to me pretty frequently because it, it's a it's a common thing. And, and most of my response is basically centered around the fact that I am a, you know, I'm a Canadian citizen and I'm currently in the States. And so there's certain realities around legal bounties and illegal bounties and, and what I have to do to protect sort of the law. And so in the event that, uh, you know, people started, you know, building bounties or using bounties for nefarious purposes, you know, I would, I would do everything in my power to, to stop them. But having said that, you know, at the same time, you know, with the nature of open source and, and more specifically on Ethereum with blockchain, the, the smart contracts are there in the open. I can't control, uh, you know, which bounties are created and posted to that standard bounties registry. And so while it would be it would be nice for me to be able to centrally regulate that, in reality, I don't I don't even have the ability to do so. So um, my biggest my biggest concern is just discouraging it sort of through outside sources like here. So. You know, for the audience, if you're thinking about posting nefarious bounties, I probably wouldn't do it on Ethereum anyway, because funds are probably very easily tracked. There are better currencies for that. But even if even if you did want to use Ethereum, you know, I would rethink whether you want to use the software that we've built. That, that was my general disclaimer for the legal department to smile at. <laughs> uh, let's let's shift into talking about. Um, sort of the some of the interesting things that could happen if you you know if we if we get these two sided marketplaces of, of bounty networks running. One is you know you have the idea of like a pricing engine that basically tells you as somebody who's posting a bounty how much you should you should price it. Uh, I find that I find that super interesting, but I'm pretty skeptical that it's really possible. How would that work? I think it's possible. Yeah, I think I think it's possible to estimate. We've we've moved away from trying to guess, you know, what one price might be, and in reality, provide sort of a range of prices. And and a lot of the analysis will have to come from past bounties that have been turned around and how quickly they were turned around, um, and you know the difficulty and all these different data points. Um, so I think it I think it is possible uh, to make some estimate. Uh, the question then just becomes how accurate are the estimates that we're providing and, and hopefully they'll get better as we iterate. But I think if you provide a general range uh, for, for a ballpark, at least, so people have a general understanding of how much they should be paying for a specific deliverable, uh, it becomes far easier to just budget out or, or, or high level plan. You know, do we actually want to, to bounty this or is this something we really value or need? And so that's really the guidance that we're looking for because in reality, you know, most of the idea of bounties anyways is that, you're you're able to interact with the free market on your budget, and so it it changes the way firms can freelance because they obviously don't have to spend much time negotiating, um, and so hopefully organizations that that have a lot of tasks can use a pricing engine to you know get an estimate and then based off of their internal requirements can come up with the price that uh, that suits them. Do, do you think the pricing engine yeah, I mean, ends up being really important in terms of like get, getting people to purse? excuse me, post their first bounty or for corporations particularly because there's a lot of principal agent problems there? 
Yeah, I think it becomes I think it becomes more important, um, especially for organizations who don't all, already historically do a lot of freelancing, who don't know how much they should be paying for various components. And in fact, in the Ronald Post paper that I had mentioned earlier, the the, the price mechanism discovery uh, problem is actually the one he highlights as the most important. And I'm actually I'm not sure that that's necessarily true anymore. Um, you know, that, now that we have the internet, but. Um, nonetheless, solving the problem of making the price discovery as efficient as possible is certainly something that we're we're focused on, and hopefully, will be improving over time. Did Did you have something yeah. to add there, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing I'll add to that is that you know, in my ten last ten years as a startup engineering leader, I did spend two or three days going to an agile class and and getting certified as a Scrum master, and I think a, a little bit about. You know, there was this part of the, this class of the class where they they told us that it's it's really hard to estimate knowledge work and that um, for software engineering it's really hard to estimate work and you just you just don't know what you're going to get into until you get into it until you roll up your sleeves and so for that reason in in Scrum at least we use something called Fibonacci numbers uh, in, in planning poker where basically on the count of three, everyone on the team estimates the scope of work with uh, these planning poker cards, which each have Fibonacci numbers on them. So, um, and the Fibonacci numbers are specifically meant to be complexity in uh, in abstract space. So basically the team over time decides like, you know, a three is somewhat complex, but uh, a five is obviously more complex than 11 is, is even more complex than that. And I think that, I think that you have to acknowledge when you're taking on such an audacious goal, like changing the nature of knowledge work, then you have to, you have to, you have to manage that there's some, you have to understand that there's some risk there when you're delegate, delegating a task. And, uh, as you alluded, the, the crisp user interface, which tells a repo owner or a firm how they should be thinking about pricing their task is one part, but uh, also letting the party and the counterparty manage the risk is really important. And uh, Gitcoin and Bounties are just designed to provide tool sets to make that as easy as possible for both parties. So, I mean, I can see a future in which we have some bounties, which are time and materials and up to a cap. And then there's some that are for fixed scope and it's just a matter of managing that risk and facilitating good communication between both both counterparties in, in order to to tackle that very audacious goal of managing knowledge work on a blockchain. So the, the flip side of that, of course, is the the discovery on the on the demand side, right? Of the of the bounty mm-hmm. pursuers, I guess, or the well, whatever the bounty hunters, the, the people that are that are doing the work. <laughs> that that actually yeah, seems the boba fets sub- of the world substantially easier to me mm-hmm. um, and, and maybe well i mean i think that everyone's making an roi calculation all the time when they're doing business about whether or not our particular opportunity is going to be worth the effort right so um and the thing is that uh the roi on task x for me might be different from it is from mark because we have different skills and experience and expectations for what we want to get out of it so uh, what's great about having a market is that something a, a task X might be better for for Mark than it is for me. And because we have an efficient market, then Mark can decide that the ROI is for him and can commit to the task. But I, mean, I think to your point, providing an interface where, where users can figure out very quickly if a task is for them is, is one of our core challenges. So I and, guess- and to riff off of that, 
so I was just going to add to riff off of that. I, I sort of imagine this utopian world where people don't have to spend any time. People who are freelancers or, or anybody really who can become a freelancer uh, doesn't have to really spend any time browsing for, for tasks or bounties or, or freelance jobs, um, but they can actually just be notified of them um, through their mobile devices or their email. Um, and, and in an ideal world, they're only ever notified of jobs that they're you know capable of actually completing um, that pay enough to, to um, be meaningful for them. Um, and so that, you know, the, the time that's spent actually organizing yourself as a freelancer can also drop to zero so that you can, you can spend all of your time working and all of your spare time, you know, playing with your kids or going to the park. So that's really the vision that we're working towards. And, and hopefully over time, we'll iterate towards that. Yeah. If I had to sum that up, I'd say that in the future, it will be as easy for a knowledge worker to pull down work from the cloud as it is for an Uber driver to receive a ride today. That's a great, that's a great vision. Well, since we're, we're pushing up against a deadline here, of course, I'll ask the most complicated question, which is how do you <laughs> deal with, with arbitration when, when people disagree, uh, especially on, like you said, like difficult stuff about, about knowledge work. And of course, also that, that feeds into reputation as well. And it seems like these are something where blockchain provides the possibility of a huge advantage. And at the same time, it's incredibly hard to do correctly. Try and answer um, each of them individually uh, because they're a little bit different, although they're obviously very connected. So uh, in the context of reputation, um, when you when you build freelancing services on Ethereum, it becomes far easier to track the uh, actions of an individual. And you can glean a lot of really interesting metrics around, you know, how often are an individual's submissions accepted and paid out or, or vice versa? How often does someone who posts jobs actually pay them fruitfully? Um, and so you can get a number of metrics um, that you don't have even necessarily need to combine into one metric, um, but that can help sort of align uh, the freelancers and the bounty issuers uh, to understand the reputations that, that the other side has, hopefully in, in contexts where they aren't, you know, major open source repos that have a lot of reputation built up to begin with. And so, you know, the work that we're doing in the context of reputation is just to, you know, to track as many of these metrics as possible and, and hopefully present them in a meaningful way to users so that they can very qu quickly understand uh, whether they want to work for someone or, or whether they trust someone. Now, this also, you know, segues into the problem of arbitration because oftentimes, you know, arbitration is the fallback for when you don't trust someone or when someone doesn't have reputation. And so we're actually working on architecting a system right now that, that begins to solve this problem so that teams or individuals who don't have a ton of reputation uh, built up can still, you know, interact with these services. I'll outline from a high level sort of what the architecture looks like, but without getting into too many specifics. The basic premise of arbitration or punishing people um, on the blockchain entails that you, you necessarily have to, to find them, right? You have to take money from them or extract value from them to pay back the people who, who, who are owed. And so in the context of you know, doing that on the blockchain, you really have to have the individuals staking the funds to begin with. And so any system that encapsulates arbitration at its core is basically just a system to facilitate the staking of funds and the eventual payout of those funds based on the rulings of various arbiters. And so we're, we're architecting a system right now that hopefully solves this problem fruitfully so that you don't have to build, you know, centralized arbitration systems like the ones we see in, you know, common freelancer platforms, uh, but hopefully have distributed arbitration where anybody from the world can become an arbiter and rule on claims 
hopefully in, in a fair manner, uh, but at the same time that people with a re reputation can stake funds to back themselves and vice versa, people can, can trust those individuals who have staked funds and hopefully, um, you know, help them accumulate reputation uh, by not having claims basically drawn up against them. I guess I'll try not to ask any follow-up questions on that, as it would take too long. <laughs> I guess let's go into the wrap it up with tell listeners where they can find the project and you on on the web. Sure, yeah. So you can obviously find the project uh, at bounties.network. That's our URL. And we obviously have a, a beta version running at beta.bounties.network. Uh, but more importantly, we're, we're starting to hire. We're looking for data scientists product designers, full-stack developers who want to solve the problems that we've been, you know, outlining, the pricing, work allocation, reputation, and arbitration. So uh, if these are problems you think are interesting or if you want to help transform the freelancer world, come talk to us. I'd say similar to Mark, Gitcoin is hiring, and we're hiring everything from full-time to uh, looking for folks who will turn around bounties for open source software if they just want to test the waters of working with Gitcoin or want, or working with Web3. And the best way to find Gitcoin is at gitcoin.co. The best way to get in touch with me is by joining the Gitcoin Slack or sending me a tweet on Twitter to at Owaki. That's my last name. I'm at Mark Balin. So if you guys want to uh, riff on this uh, topic in public, you know, reach out to me on Twitter. I I'd love to to chat in 140 characters or less. Well, well, awesome, guys. I hope that there are software developers out there that are inspired by the opportunity and vision of being able to recreate the nature of, of open source and of, of work in general, whether they work full-time or want to dip their toes in the water. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Evan. Thanks for having us, Evan.